Table at TTRPG and DD podcast, all about homebrew content and ultimately playing TTRPGs DD the way that you want to play. My name is Phil. And I'm Josh. We are in part two of our accidental two-parter on the tuneless bard if you haven't listened to part one uh you can just dive straight into this episode or go back give it a listen give us a follow subscribe like all that jazz i need to start doing that more (laughs) yeah um like i said this was part two of how do we not play the horny bard how do we do the tuneless bard what are the different ways to explore the essence of being a bard and ways to sort of move away from you have to go around everywhere playing an instrument yeah um and there's so much yeah so much um and it's kind of triggered by the new one dnd being college of dance which is a big deviation from everything previously that was all word-based verbal-based and music-based and also my love of chris pine exactly but you gotta go listen to the first episode to find out more about that um you kind of summarized it really well at the end of part one what was part one about and what are we kind of going to focus a little bit more on in part two yeah so part one we kind of still covered like oratory style colleges subclasses so um discussing still what the base of a bard is what does a bard mean how can you reflavor existing bards and official stuff um but what it means by words of creation and how that makes a bard, a bard, basically. Um, what does a college mean? Does that actually mean anything? Or is it just a name for a subclass? Is it, well, as I decided, a collective noun for bards? Oh, that's canon. And I'm going to campaign and petition to have a college of be the collective noun. Just a college of bards. Um, and how to move away from the stereotypes yeah. and playing an instrument and that horny bard stereotype. Um, so starting with college of advocacy um, and then the college of shade. Um, but again, both of these were still oratory. Yeah. Um, and then the college of shade took us into two different college of jesters and the college of satire. Um, so looking at those about how it's still cutting words, vicious mockery, more of the comedic side, but then starting to get onto physicality as well like juggling tumbling um and then that was kind of like all of our performance style homebrew colleges that i threw at you and some incredible stuff in there um i think we yeah we spitballed a lot of different scenarios campaign ideas like just places you can go with a lot of this stuff and and some of it is quite for want of a better word mature there's like a couple of things in there that are quite nuanced and i feel like if you've got the right group some really incredible stuff to explore in character at the table um we're gonna kick off uh, we mentioned it briefly uh well not briefly we sort of touched on it in the last episode and that is a big supplement uh called valda's spire of secrets do you want to give a quick tldr on sort of what this supplement is and kind of what it covers and then we're going to dive into a couple of their um college of classes yeah so about aspire secrets was uh, originally a kickstarter um but you know you can purchase it through the mage hand press store um excellent excellent supplementary um homebrew material um publisher um and creator um love 
all of their stuff to do. Um, it, it really are must have um, for if you really want to expand the mm. game, as it were. Um, it introduces new races, um, loads of new classes yeah. as well, but all have subclasses with them as well, which yeah. is bang for your buck. A lot. Um, loads of more information about customizing feats and auxiliary levels and starter feats. Loads more spells and equipment as well. But what we're going to be focusing on today is the Bard chapter, chapter three, which is new classes for exi- new subclasses for existing classes. I would say it is a lovely combination of customization options, adding new elements. So some of the classes um, are expansions on stuff that the current classes, official classes don't really cover. Um, but also subclass wise, there's some in there that are quite comedic, quite tongue in cheek. If you want to do a fun campaign with your friends, great. Um, some of them are quite meta and very min max to be like quite powerful or like not game breaking but mm. kind of like really cool concepts um and some of them are just cute and fun yeah um great and- great layout great writing i think if you've got a experienced group as well and you're just sort of looking for something fresh um just using this where everyone picks something from this book would make for a really great table, especially if you're just looking for a little bit of just zhuzh, you know, you kind of, you feel like you've gone through all the things that appeal to you in the official stuff. This is a great place to start. Yeah. To just I've run a one shot yeah. with friends and they've all chosen from this and we had an absolute whale of a time, um, mainly because I didn't know what most of their abilities did as a GM at the table. Yeah. So they were like reading out what they do and there was loads of, whoa, whoa. Oh, that's so cool moments because it was all new. Yeah. There were experienced players that had all read the player's handbook. So everybody knew what everybody's features and subclasses did. Yeah. Whereas to completely throw loads of new stuff in the mix just by using subclasses yeah. was great. And it gives you that whole like, who is this person that I'm meeting? You know, in game. Yeah. You know, you, you, it is, it's a really hard thing to sometimes just be like, I think that Josh is playing a cleric, you know. But with stuff like this, it, you get that. Oh wow! Who? What? Where? When? Why? Yeah. Um, and the speaking mystique. the mystique and speaking of who? What? Wow! 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 Um, when I say I immediately wanted to make a character based on one of these colleges, I know exactly which one you're going to say, and was like I had to almost pull myself back into preparing for this episode because I just wanted to go roll up a character. I College of Graffiti. Oof. Just, I mean, it opens with, to many, the College of Graffiti is a nuisance, a band of hooligans that vandalize the city with no regard for the law. But bards who learn to tag know that graffiti is the single greatest art form. It's beautiful. You can be a teenage hooligan, or you can be... Banksy. Waterdeep's Banksy. Yeah. But it's great. Uh, it's fantastic um and it takes it in a completely the bard in a completely different direction from performance so you get painter supplies and then your choose of stealth or sleight of hand yeah mechanically fitting the theme perfectly um and this does involve a new homebrew spell yep uh, which is the target cantrip love it um which is fantastic um we won't go into that now but it also gives you another use of your bardic inspiration basically um and it's give it like plus ones to specific checks 
yeah and attack rolls and everything um i think i wrote down a, a basically to me this new cantrip tag is hunter's mark but make it art yeah and that's just such an awesome thing as a bard to have but yeah. support yeah so you're putting your adventuring party's tag on the wall next to where the combat is happening and everyone's just like yeah this is cool and these are the things that i think speak to this idea of bards of jack of all trades without having to just give a jack of all trades mechanic that bolsters everything you do um you third level street art um is very much connected to the tag cantrip as you said um sixth level you get signature mark so that's when you paint a target on a creature's back so that's like the you're, idea you're tagged. It, it gives me like um you know rufio from hook <laughs> like it, it gives me this vision of like this sort of slightly punk rock archaic bard zipping around the 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 battlefield and then sort of splatoon style just whacking a tag on someone hitting them with paint i was just about to say splatoon right because that's my the 14th level one which is kaleidoscopic spray which is just you paint every surface yeah. around you um in a huge 15 foot cone um and it has loads of uh subsequent effects um but i'm just like i just would be a squid that that would be splatoon if, you, if you've ever sat at home playing splatoon and thought to yourself wouldn't this be a great dnd character Valda's got you covered. <laughs> College of Graffiti, baby. A Triton. Done. Um, yeah, I love it. I, I, I'm obsessed with it. Um, and I, I, I think, yeah, this is already my... This is the one I want to go play, and I want to go play it now. But there is another one in this collection that I love, but I'm we're going to... We'll save that one to the end. Um, we spoke a bit at the top of the episode, and we speak a bit about it in... Um, part one that there's some really interesting homebrew bard classes out there that could be very well suited for a more story-driven table or campaign and that they have a little bit more nuance they might sort of speak a little bit more to the real world and people's feelings and all these sort of things at the table and one of those is in Valdez, which is college of romance now you might disagree but i think that I love this turning uh, the sort of horny bard, not on its head, but like it's a reframing of it. There is a call out box on this page um, that says enchantment isn't love. Spellcasters of all stripes possess magic, which can influence the heart, inspiring emotions, which simply aren't genuine when this magic fades so too do the emotions that inspired even spellcasters which drive their powers from emotionality should be mindful of this magically inspired emotions are manipulative not romantic now i've I've called that bit out first which might be making a lot of people gasp and like what the hell is this college of romance but i do think it's like a really important thing and i'm glad they've included it I think that's important even if you're just playing a vanilla game. Of course. In terms of charm and rolling really high on persuasion checks um, and expecting what should happen from those. And I think it's something that gems always need to be careful of as well is how far do you go with a charm and wooing someone or persuading someone to do anything. Um, Whereas this college, um, with that caveat, makes 
charming someone into a science it's kind of like a like hitch it's kind of like the ultimate dating advisor right but i'm, in terms I'm just of, gonna add hitch to things i never thought would be referenced on the D <laughs> podcast um but it's sort of about applying this wooing with mechanical effect right yeah. um an, an enemy turned an ally is twice as effective as an enemy slain is the line in the supplement um which I really, really like. Um, it just boosts charm spells. Um, gives you another use for your bardic inspiration, which is fantastic. Cupid's arrow. It is very much a Cupid style. This might fit very well into like Theros mm-hmm. um, as a yeah. setting, um, oh. as Eros or Aphrodite esque as a as a patron. Go classic were. on this one, in my yeah. opinion. Um, and take some archetypes. Be the be the god walking among us if you want to. Um, yeah, I agree. There's a lot there, but you are going to be casting charm a lot. A lot, yes. Um, and sixth level, you can use a bonus action to direct a creature you have charmed to attack. So it's very much a controller class. Mm-hmm. Um, very much suckle save spells here. So high risk, but high reward. Yep. If if you can make it work, so quite tricky. Very nuanced. But if it fits your theme and it fits your character, this is a subclass that could be really I, fun. Yeah, I see this sitting really well in a city campaign, a Strixhaven. Uh, you know, uh, you're going to need a lot of uh, social interactions. Yeah, definitely. Um, that role I, 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 If you're doing a wilderness hex crawl, I wouldn't be advising College of Romance. Um, every tavern. Hello there. <laughs> Or every bear that you encounter. Um, but yeah, I think the enchantment is in love is super useful advice. Do take that, apply it to your own games, look into it. Think about where those boundaries are and, and how these things work in game. Um, but yeah, it's a fun one. And as you say, I think it's probably one of the more uh, niche in terms of this very feels like it's going to fit into a specific set of campaigns and tables as yeah. opposed to sort of a try it if you want to have a bit of fun and it'll go anywhere yeah um, great for a one shot or a short campaign 100% yeah College of Masks was a very close second to my obsession in these bard subclasses this is the one I thought you were going to pick really okay yeah. yeah no it was the it, it got an asterisk I will say that it got an asterisk in the notes love an asterisk um, College of Masks uh, bards in the College of Masks, parentheses, the Masters of Masks, as they have come to be called, I... are virtuoso performers who practice becoming the figure they portray. I think it's really, really nice because it's not necessarily fully performance, but you can just wear a mask. You can just be a bizarre elusive figure with a mask on um and the mask can change um at any time more or less um and i think that's great um so we'll quickly look at how this works right so persona masks um at third level you learn to craft potent magical masks each of which allows you to take on a different persona and gain some aspect of that archetypal character um you start with two and then you gain additional masks as you level up yep they have persona masks outlined in the supplement so do not worry you don't have to think about archetypes but they 
are some of them are very self-explanatory you have the angel the fool gladiator high priest dragon devil archmage archmage gives you uh spells uh sort of high priest lord spirit faceless uh yeah it you get to sort of pick two from that a third level yeah and then you get an additional mask at six and then an additional at 14th. So in total, you'll be rocking four masks if you make it to 14th level. But if you find that one of them isn't working for you or you don't find it fun, you can swap out masks yep. as you level up. Remake a mask for eight hours of work and 100 gold pieces of materials. Yep. Um, and the Persona masks all have very thematic effects that are very niche to specific situations, completely situational, but perfect you're supposed to be someone with a wider range of skills a jack of all trades here i have a mask for this occasion if you don't know what you want to play or you have so many different ideas for what you want to play and people are always going bards you get a little bit of this you get a little bit of that you know you can be in the fight but you can also be support you can be spoke this takes that and dials it up to 11 yeah and just to take one of them to take uh the fool this porcelain mask of grinning gesture of a grinning gesture is adorned with bells, ribbons, and vibrant checkerboard paints. While you wear this mask, your walking speed increases by ten feet. Additionally, you can take the disengage action as a bonus action. Like it's, it's a little small thing, but just, just the act of popping that on while you're in a particular situation or you need to get a certain thing done. I, you're suddenly in a chase scene. Done. I pop my full mask on. Yeah. I've got an extra 10 feet and I can disengage as a bonus action. Perfect. It's just so versatile. Yeah. Uh, that it just, I'm looking at it and I'm just like, I, I would be completely frozen by indecision because it's so versatile. There are so many choices, but the fact that you can change them out every time you level up just fits perfectly into as you, as the campaign grows and changes you can change these masks out and that is perfect role play do the masks impact you or where do you find the masks from as well as making them there's just so many options you there. have touched on something that i wrote down that got me really excited which is th this is framed as um the college of masks believe that all life is performed uh, rather than lived and that to become an actor in this great play requires that one merely put on the metaphorical mask of another i immediately like was like I, this idea of like we as human beings living our life are all wearing different masks so within this maybe it's not performative but maybe it's just you trying to figure out who you are and you have different masks that you wear for different situations, either combat or social situations. And the masks, I'm not saying necessarily a sort of, um, what was that movie? Split? The Yeah, not necessarily going in that path all the way, but maybe when you literally, like the Jim Carrey, the mask, when you put these masks on, it's maybe not a good experience. Maybe you don't want to always put these masks on. You're hiding who you are. Hello, not the brave. You know, th there's a couple of ways to interpret it and reflavor it at its core. And then just the masks themselves, you get just oof, oof. So much juice. Possibilities are endless. Possibilities. Mm.
So yeah, there are other subclasses in Valders. Go check it out. Um, but those are our three favorite. Great, great supplements. Moving on, let's do another callback to our first episode, which was when I pitched to you, how do I play a chef, a cook within the party? And um, we took Hero's Feast, uh, Saving Children's Menu, the new supplements that you can buy, or the new adventure module you can buy on D&D Beyond. That was our sort of inspiration. And we talked about uh, College of Cuisine. Uh, we literally plugged being a sort of bard. But we, it would be remiss of us to not touch on some culinary delights in our tuneless bard. So you have put forward College of Culinary Arts. Uh, yes, this one is Table Fables on, again, D&D Beyond, homebrew subclass that's been shared, made public. Um, and I think this one is actually one of the first ones that fits the college. I like to think that you'd actually been to culinary college, yeah, culinary school, and 100%. that is how you are a bard. Think about how many TV chefs there are and how many TV sh- uh, how many chefs are performers and it is an art form so this really leans into food being inspiring um but kind of avoids a lot of the issues we had with some of the culinary subclasses that we discussed in the chef um, sure. episode um one of them being third level and proficiency in cooking tools obviously um or expertise um so you can choose expertise with cooking utensils or proficiency and then advantage against ingested poison, which seems like a high advantage out of the gate, but the specifically ingested, I think works well. It makes sense. It makes a ton of sense. It also gives your GM something to leverage later on in the campaign and test and probe, or maybe send you a curveball. Like maybe there is something that suddenly affects you. And then as a culinary arts bard, you're going to, that could be a session dealing with that thing. And then you're going to want answers, you know, who created something uh, that had a negative effect on you after your years of building up tolerances to these things. Um, you know, as a GM, I think there's, there's, there's so much spice in there, which leads me on to spice of life. Upon reaching sixth level during your travels, you have discovered new and exotic spices that you have learned to add to your cuisine, which you can control to add one of the following effects to your meal. So this is great because we spoke about it in the chef's thing, allowing you to sort of set the party up for the day. Um, Putting more onus on a long rest is always nice. Again, you don't have to play out a long rest as like 20, 30 minutes at the table with a campfire, but to have a few more things, a few more beats happen within a long rest, I do think takes the edge off, okay, HP reset, you know, get hit dice back, you know, cool, we're ready to go. I got to do my spells again. This this adds a little, just a little bit something more um, and can create a few little nice moments. Um, and again, just in terms of player GM, the world building that you could do here. So they haven't written out any spices, but we did talk about the spice tables in the previous episode, but also just go write up your own list of spices, go get an old uh, herbs and spices book off of eBay, get one of those Dorling Kingsley's, be inspired, make your own little spice and herbs book maybe together. Or again, I think I've said it before, the idea, I love just handing a pair of prop and being like, 
this is your thing now, go wild, hand them a little book or they've created their own and then you can be collecting spices. I, I would almost hold back on giving them all four of these things, which, you know, random resistance, temp hit points, advantage on being charmed or put to sleep, advantage on your next two attacks. I don't, I'm, I'd almost stagger it. Add your own, create spices that they can find. And then that's their yeah. motivation for being out in the world. And you can create big story arcs, small story arcs around those spices. I mean, that's level six. They can have been collecting those spices, but not knowing what they're for, yeah. for five levels, right? Yeah. And then suddenly at level six, they find a page in the book or they find that perfect recipe and they're just like, oh, that's what these are for. Um, definitely, I would consider using the other tables we talked about in the other episode, but I like one additional mechanic in here. The effects last for an hour after consumption. Yeah. can feed up to four people, but once it turns cold, it loses magical effects after 30 minutes of its preparation. Yeah. So it's kind of, you can't save it and just in case... Um, but you have a half an hour period there of, ooh, before it goes completely cold. Yeah. Um, which I think is great. Um, only thing about this one is, isn't another use of your inspiration in this one, yeah. which is something you might want to bring in from the subclasses we discussed in the other episode of how can you use your inspiration? It's like, oh, here's a snack. Yeah. Um, have a little snack. Have a little snack. Have a little snack. Mid combat, quickly munch this snack. Here's a cupcake. Cupcake. This also just, just sidesteps one of my big uh, old man shouts at cloud hangups from our chef episode, which was a lot of the food-based uh, classes where subclasses were culminating in at 14th level, you get a free casting of Heroes Feast, which I find to be an incredibly not only powerful spell, mechanically which negates a lot of the things in a gm's toolkit to throw at a party at 14th level um it's also it feels like a big moment it should be a sort of four or five times a campaign if you get to play that long moment and a lot of them were like once a day you can cast hero's feast no shade but shade this is a nice little twist on it. Chef's masterpiece at 14 level. Your cooking is now that of legend. You can craft a meal that if consumed by a hostile creature forces them to make a charisma saving throw. So much juiciness in there in terms of moments and things and scenarios to happen at the table. On a failure, that creature is charmed by you for a number of hours equal to your charisma modifier or until you are, or a companion make aggressive actions towards them. It takes one hour to craft such a blah, 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 blah. Um, it can be stored for up to 1d2 hours. I think this is far better a niche feature than you can cast Heroes Feast. Yeah. Because this is against hostile creatures this is i'm baking a cake and i'm taking it to the lair oh and they're all gonna eat the cake but, and, and that's one approach charmed. the other approach is just bouncing around force being the granny do you know what i mean like <laughs> force feeding your enemies the food that you have consumed because you have to if you eaten, have you eaten here to consistently have boom force fed someone some porridge the idea of this sort of beefy baker she's running around they're running around just force feeding cake into people at 14th level is amazing um and then uh, all credits to table fables then they just the tiniest misstep for me alternatively you can make any meal a hero's feast no no uh, no, I, I because you can have that spell anyway um yeah. I think the chef's masterpiece I think that's a really it's great really clever one it's really really good yeah 
especially as it's charisma, saving throws and modifiers, and they should be super high by the time you're level 14. Keeping slightly within the realm of food, kind of, maybe, <laughs> um, because I think that there's ways to really twist this next one and reframe it if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, College of Alchemy. Alchemy. Um, this is from uh, Griff, Griffin Saddlebag, um, one of their uh, subclasses. Um, I love this because it's if you want to play an artificer, alchemist, yep. but you want to be a bard, be this. Um, it is very, very clever. Um, it even leans into the performative aspect to some extent um, with bards singing as they make their alchemical projects etc but we're going away from that performance we're doing tuneless bards so i specialize in finding rare alchemical recipes and sharing them and teaching them i run a shop it's very simple to do this with just alchemical supplies um gives you a boost to checks on stuff like that but your bardic fire is the key one here. You can refill empty vials with bardic fire when you give a creature bardic inspiration. Mm. Um, and your bardic fire is basically a little vial that you throw that is kind of like alchemical fire, basically. Yep. Um, but it recharges automatically from your inspiration, which is just a very cool consumable mechanic, I think. Yep. I'm um, in this one of the things here is is mixologists you know you can be we all know most mixologists will move from bar to bar learning their crafts you know that's a reason to be out there mixing can be performative to whatever level you want it to be um and again just creating a a nice drink i would i would flavor this as like you have a knack for making good drinks but that one of the drinks or things that you can brew is your bardic fire my only slight uh, qualm with it is it, at 14th level, you become so good, you have improved potency and you can use the other elements of air, earth and water within your bardic fire and what you brew. It, If you were down for it, I think great, but bardic fire felt very one note for someone who mixes and is from the College of Alchemy. It, it's you're constantly from level uh three you're just going to be doing fire damage with your bardic fire um i would love to have seen it at now there's a great thing at sixth level where you can create a magical potion by casting a spell into the vial or a similar container and i i think almost just like it's great and that gives you the variety but then you're also managing spells so I don't know if it just felt like for me getting to that point where I can do air, earth, fire, water at 14th level. And then the fire nation attacked. And then the fire nation attacked. Um, (laughs) Did I do it in the right order? Who knows? We'll never know. 14th level just seems a bit late for that payoff. I don't know if you think there was more, if it's more... You can get more out of sixth level with the spells. Definitely. I mean, yeah. You, I mean, you could homebrew this, couldn't you, with your GM um, and put in those differences straight in at a third level. 
just the different damage types. And then at 14, it does all the extra stuff yeah. and you give the fire something extra as well. And make that can it easily be put in. Make it something uh, I have to brew. I have to change it. Maybe it's like the masks. You know, I have to put a bit of oomph into changing what my vials are that magically fill up. Um, yeah, it was just, it just feels like, it's like, oh, it's just there. But I do feel sixth level distilling a spell down into a potion is awesome. I think that's really, really cool. If you are a player that is good at spell management, good yep. at resource management, you're on top of your character sheet and you want to play an alchemical mixologist bartender slash brewer cook pharmacist, whichever way you want to take this subclass, this is great as an extra use and really adding an extra free element to your inspiration. Yeah, I was going to make a joke there, but I missed my moment, so we'll move on. <laughs> Say you said brewer cook, brewer cook pharmacist, and then the candlestick nation attacked. <laughs> keeping with keeping with Griff, um, we have got another one from them, another banger, which I do really enjoy, which is College of Mercantile. College of the Mercantile. This is I love this so much. What is more? bardic than a shopkeeper mm -hmm. who is um silver-tongued wheeling and dealing uh, this is you playing one of the trotters right this mm -hmm. is an excellent dealer so if you are playing in a campaign where you are required to go shopping a lot and there is resource management um this is just great and it deals with a lot of coins so enchanting coins flipping coins instead of using a bardic die mm -hmm. this really really heavily thematically leans into money and what character doesn't like money yeah and and immediately like you said i think there's lots of different ways you can play this they don't that you can do wheeler dealer you can do shopkeeper you could have someone who has very interesting philosophies uh on how money makes the world go around um but also so one of the elements within this is coin flip which you touched on so so good it's so so if good. you are the type of player who will hand over a little bit of your agency to allow chaos and the gods to just take over at the table do it do it this is awesome starting when you join college of mercantile at third level a creature that uses bardic inspiration die from you can choose to forego rolling the die to flip a coin instead if it's heads the creature treats the bardic inspiration die as if it rolled its maximum number if it's tails the gm takes the bardic inspiration die and can use it when another creature of the gm's choice makes an ability check attack roll or saving throw instead that is so good. It is an instant, like, what's everyone's favorite moment? Is that moment when either the GM is rolling in front of the screen or a player is rolling that big roll that is going to sway anything. To be able to have these kind of sway moments, these moments, especially like if we say like Bardic, 75% of the time is probably going to be given out in combat. Not always, but you know, I think a large proportion of people will be giving out their bardic in a fight. To have these moments where it could just sway one way or the other, 
a literal coin toss. Yeah. Go get a fancy coin. Have that as a prop of the table. Have that be a thing that the the player carries and uses. Is awesome. It's so good. Um, And I think, yeah, like I said, if you're the type of player who's happy enough to be like, that's out of my control, but I still get to do, I create these moments through the power of money is is great um and also it just gets better because also at level three and this is this is exactly why we're doing this episode you know that coins can be just as powerful as the most enthralling rhetoric whereas other bars may use words and songs as their means for conjuring spells you instead use a simple coin uh, and then it goes on to talk about how coin can be your spellcasting focus but also you can literally throw coins at people and it does your spellcasting modifier damage and thunder damage and returns to your hand it's very the what we liked about the jester subclass very gambit-esque um, but again non-verbal tuneless another way to play a bard i want to be a goblin college of mercantile agent of chaos just running around throwing coins at people flipping coins for bardic inspiration and throwing coins at people great but to double down on the theme of the tuneless bard there is a sixth level ability that you get with college of mercantile called money talks this essentially allows you to turn a coin into a spying device now i've not run it you are running water deep surely this is just like this would be the best thing ever for a city campaign where you are relying on a network of information to decide what you're where you're heading next who you're going to break into who do you trust you plant a coin and then it spies for you it's just there's so much good stuff in here yeah again another tool in this swiss army knife of a subclass uh which is fantastic it's so good and then ultimately at 14th level halving costs very simply you're that powerful that you just um don't necessarily consume things when you do consume them um and that age-old homebrew rule of using an object or drinking a potion only takes a bonus action um i know lots of gms homebrew that rule differently anyway but there it is written in a 14th level ability if you want to play this is an this is just a thought this is just a thought right if you want to play donald Gennaro, who is the lawyer in jurassic park who is brought to ascertain the safety <laughs> i wish i wish the mic could pick up on josh's silent laughter if you want to play donald Gennaro from jurassic park college of mercantile is the class for you <laughs> Uh, I just, I just love it. But then I could also happily play Deborah Meaden. Yeah. Um, and just or Alan Sugar. <sighs> little, it, it just little, little, little goblin Alan Sugar. A little gnome Deborah Meaden. No, De- I don't uh, know why she's a gnome in my mind, but she's just. I, but she would be iconic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely love this as a subclass, and cannot wait to either play as one or have a player play as one at my table. Cool. Moving away from Griff um, yep. to great colleges there, but College of Antiquity. Antiquity. So this is a this is an interesting, very left field, very left field. Lots, and it's not the the features don't necessarily match with what I would 
yep, say comes to mind from College of Antiquity. I think Antiques Roadshow, I think law, I think bookish. Um, but this takes it in a very different direction. Yep. Um, this is from the Incantations supplement from Metal Weave Games. Um, really, really interesting supplement. Huge, again, um, with a lovely expansion on spellcasting with an incantation mechanic of these mm-hmm. spells that you can collect and cast ritually. And the amount of time you spend casting them and the people that ca- you cast them with. Yep empower the spell it's a lovely lovely mechanic but bard college of antiquity this is all about time yeah so rather than being a chronomancy chronology whatever it is um wizard you can be a bard and it's all about timing yeah so learn in arcana and history yeah they learn that age and degradation are features to be studied not flaws to be scorned um I do think it sets it up, like you say, it, it ends up being a lot more combat focused. I was surprised. And that's not a bad thing. I think this is this is quite nice if you want to be in the fight doing things, but also have a very RP meaty character. Like to play an elf of indeterminate age or a dragonborn, you know, Maybe you're several generations of incarnation, like, you know, keeping your age ambiguous, uh, the the degradation of maybe if you wanted to go really heavy, like maybe there's degradation within your body, you know, so you've come to accept that your body is on a clock. So you want to study that in the world around you. Um, antique intelligence at third level. Um, you gain proficiency, arcana and history, as you said. Um so beckoning future uh this is you learn how to tamper with time looking to the past for guidance when rolling for initiative you can roll your bardic inspiration die to give all friendly creatures engaged in combat a bonus to their initiative this is nice like if this this is kind of the rallying cry in a way like to be able to sort of be stuck in a situation and sometimes it depends on how the gm runs combat but to have the, like, there is always that moment a lot of the time where people are like, oh, if I was going before you. And again, we're not going to get into the sort of weeds on combat in D&D, but, you know, sometimes that happens to be the person who comes in and goes, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that and roll the die and that moves you up the ladder. Yeah, I mean, especially if you've got an assassin or a gloom stalker yeah. in your party, they would love you for this if it means that they go first in combat um but equally i love the idea of a uh like a very clockwork warforged that is rusting as you said embracing that degradation over time and is an antique themselves but then just pausing and like turning back time very bernard's watch yeah for just at the start of initiative to prompt give someone a split second yeah to quickly decide who goes first you've been around long enough that you can kind of just reevaluate and push time back just a tiny bit to be like, I think it should be like this. Um, oh God, I want to play that rusting Warforge now. Just I've seen things. I've become self-aware. They're just they have a beautiful outlook on the world, but they're Warforged. Delightful. There is a big thing here, though. Uh, at fourteenth level, you get the claws of time. This is buck wild and I love it, but it also feels it leans into creating a 
big moment. And it's one of those things where I think it would, you'd almost want to really pick and choose how and when you use this because it feels like it bigs, brings up big cinematic story beat moments. You are able to warp time around items and weaken their effects. You can use an action to rapidly age the items of any hostile creature within 60 feet. Um, armor stiffens and erodes, losing all magical properties. All increases to AC derived from magical effect are halted. Uh, though the base non-magical AC increase remains. Uh, weapons succumb to entropy. Uh, potions become moldy and reek of vinegar for the duration affected potions deal 2d10 poison damage to anyone who consumes them magic items that are not weapons armor or potions become drained of their potency you you can go full 11 stranger things here and just like so again a very awkward saving throw in terms of Lots of enemies will have high con, yep. especially at that late stage in the game. So this is very save or suck. If it happens, it is epic. Yeah. This is you as a bard creating an epic, epic performance without a tune. This is you know how time works mm -hmm. and pure, pure magical energy just making... Everything aged by thousands of years older for a minute. Yeah. And just completely muting most magical items. And at level 14, you're going to be facing people and things that have magical items and abilities that will then be null and void for the rest of your party to wail on them. Yep. Um, I think if you're a GM who ends up with a level 14 College of Antiquity bard in your party get a little bunch of flashcards write out a load of uh descriptions of things eroding and being drained because you're going to need it um and then think of fun smart ways to challenge a bard who can literally shift time um you know there's there's lots of great things that you could do to bounce up against this um but equally give you know throw some minions in there let them have that moment where they take away their armor, take away their spells, their their magic items, etc. Um it's really interesting. It's really left of center um subclass. And I think that sort of speaks to what you said about this whole um supplement. Um again, beautiful layout, really, really nice supplement. I would encourage people to check it out. <laughs> Last but not least, the College of Sculpting. I thought you were going to do a segue. Speaking of sculpting time. Oh, let's do it again. No, I'm not going to give you a redo. Speaking of sculpting time, um, the Bardic College of Sculpting from Snack Daddy Games, which is one of my favorite names out there for um, third party homebrew. Um, this is relating to a supplement all about a university. So very Strixhaven S. Nice um, alternative to Strixhaven if yeah. you want to have a sort of fleshed out university with yeah. lots of different classes. Uh, loads of NPCs as well, all to fill out different classes in there as well. Um, and College of Sculpting. So again, it really hits the nail on the head with art takes many forms 
many people take to the stage and dance and leap. Some people do painting and die. So there is a college of fine art to go with the college of graffiti out there. Um, but this is about college of sculpting. So clay, stone, craft. But again, it could be ice, water, fire. It could be whatever you want to sculpt out of. Um, but our favorite thing about this is very simply the third level spell sculpt. I'm a big fan of Mythmaker's spell masteries, so learning things to adapt spells and cantrips. Um, and this is a lovely way of doing that, um, kind of like the Audio Scribes Wizard, but at level three as a bard. Yeah. You may expend use of a bardic inspiration to choose one of the following effects. Uh, deals one of the elemental damages or in psychic radiance, necrotic. Um, you can change the damage to another type on this list. Roll your bardic inspiration die and add the number rolled to the damage total. Um, reduce your bardic, if you roll your bardic inspiration die and reduce this number from one creature saving throw, that could come in super clutch. And again, that's just about, again, telegraph this stuff with your GM, figure out how your GM is going to communicate results of saving throws to you so that you are able to use this and that they know it's sort of something that they need to consider. Roll your bardic inspiration die and add this number to the amount of hit points regained if the spell regains hit points or temporary hit points if it gives temporary hit points. That's oddly worded. Uh, the bonus is applied only when you cast the spell. Um, yeah, it it's great to give you that personal twist on how you want to play your character, what their motivations are. Um, you could, again, you can homebrew this yourself and maybe it's not random that it's acid, cold, fire. It's just one of them or a collection of them if you want to be super thematic with the materials that you sculpt with. You know, you you are College of Sculpting, but if you want to then go one level deeper, you could only work in one discipline or maybe you change disciplines as you level up. You hit some milestones that you agree with the GM. So, oh, I'm going to begin with, you know, clay. And then at third level, I'm going to move into, you know, mixed media or whatever. Um, and you could flavor this spell sculpting as such if you wanted to. Um, great little bit of flavor at third level. You learn the alter self spell and it doesn't count against your uh, spells known, you can cast a spell at will. It does not require concentration, um, but can only use the change appearance option. Yep. If you want to play Clayface from Batman, <laughs> this is your way to do it. Yeah. Um, sculpt allies, um, you can basically pass that stuff out, yep. which is great. And again, it's like... This, we said it before, this is the sweet spot with Bart is feeling like you can have individual impact, but you can also play that support role and impact the party. Like, that's what it feels like. Bards are sending stuff out into the world. They're creating their art in lots of different ways. And some of those ways are just by being real good with money. <laughs> and some of those ways are sculpting materials it does say here, uh, what was the line? Manipulate bone and skin to sculpt the appearance and form of others. Um, <laughs> um, all of these features from like even the third level ones are things that will carry you through yeah. a very long campaign as well. Being yeah. able to minus a bardic inspiration die off a saving throw. Yeah, huge. That's huge when your inspiration die gets up to like a D10 and higher like that's that's crazy yeah um and 
that would normally be uh, another spell cast the turn before yep um like mind or something like that so really 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 good adding into like leaning into meta magic without having to take that um and then being able to disguise your entire party that's going to be useful all the way up until a level 20 campaign right yeah 100 um yeah it, it's it's great that there's stuff out there like this and again you could if you wanted to you could cherry pick you know i love the idea of we're not reinventing the wheel here but like the all bard party right but rather than it just being a band make it art school you know you, you drop off college off just it's different disciplines within your home brood strixhaven you've got the sculptor you've got the graffiti you've got the artist you know they like you could just create art school and then have all these different things and all these different subclasses yeah. and i think that is you know take strixhaven as your little primer and then listen to our future episode where josh tells you all the strixhaven supplements to help fill in the gaps um, but also that's what this supplement's from, right? This is from a, a university themed. Yeah, Hyrule University. Yeah, yeah uh, League of Magic's Hyrule University, Snacks of the yeah. Games. So I've just Great. stolen their idea and uh, repitched it back to them on our podcast. Um, go me. That was quite a lot of bardic goodness of the tuneless variety, but it wouldn't be an episode above table without your trinket of the week trinket of the week um this week it's super super simple um one from dom kasanaha on reddit and it's just the quill scribing just a common quill just a quill um but you standing in front of a piece of paper <laughs> um but you could easily give this out as level one um and it's just but you have to attune to it Okay. It's a common trinket item. So it's taken up a slot? That requires attunement. Correct. Um, but basically, you can use a bonus action to make it float around you, and it can make any parchment or other writing surfaces float with it. And while it floats in this way, you can write with it only using your mind. Um, you can use another bonus action to make the quill stop floating. So whilst you could be um, a note taker or from the secretarial pool, walking yep. around with just a a quill that can make notes on anything. If you are the note taker at the table, this is a great way for your character to actually be doing that in person. Yep. But also it's a great way for you to hide around a corner and send messages and guidance to another end party. There are loads of different, different ways you can do this, but I like that it takes attunement. Uh, mm -hmm. Like first, uh, as a really common trinket item. Yes, that disbalances it, but I think it's really cute to make it for low-level players or new players to say it's really, so really special. I have an attunement item. And but I think you're that's also, quite lovely. That quill's gonna get a name and that quill's not going anywhere. Like if you if you bring in a uh, at first or second level, you bring in a quill that is attached to me and it's doing its thing. I'm giving that quill all the personality in the world. I'm not gonna call it quill. I'm gonna give it a, a fancy schmancy name. Feathers. And I would even, maybe maybe I'm going to pitch something back to them that they've already written. I would let that quill do 1d4 piercing damage. Oh, then like, uh, was it Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. The little arrow, the arrow. that's controlled with a whistle. Yeah. <laughs> but I would allow as a bonus action that you could then hit for 1d4 piercing. So you kind of end up with, I think, this kind of gray 
it becomes an extension of the character. It can be um, a dart. You just use a dart. Just dart use the dart stats. Yeah. Um, I will also maybe consider if a wizard has it, yeah. um, halving time to copy a spell yeah. or something like that. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, yeah, fine, you're losing an achievement slot, but actually little feathers, I can come up with a better name than that. Exactly. And it will take a while in a normal campaign for you to get to all three achievement slots anyway. Yeah, exactly. So may as well use it while you have it. Amazing. Love it. Well, that's been the end of part two of our accidental two-part look at Bard's What Don't Sing. Um, we, yeah, thanks for listening. We hope you have been inspired. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening. Um, do check out everything we've talked about. There's links in the show notes. And yeah, support those creators who are still putting out great stuff to allow you to play the way you want to play at your tables. Uh, I've been Phil. I've been Josh. This has been Above Table. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks again for listening. The content featured on today's episode was Valdus Spire of Everything by Majan Press, College of Culinary Arts by Table Fables, College of Alchemy by Griffin Saddlebag, College of Mercantile by Griffin Saddlebag, College of Antiquity from Incantations by Metal Weave Games, and College of Sculpting from League of Magics by Snack Daddy Games. If you did enjoy the podcast, it'd be great if you could give us a follow on whatever app or platform you listen to your podcasts. Leave a review or rating as well. It really does help. Share an episode, pass it on to a player friend or GM. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.